We're going to introduce Gary. He'll give us his credentials. Then we're going to talk a little of this film behind me. One of the best films ever made, Streets of Fire, starring Michael Pere. And then I'm going to ask him how he saw us, because I'm fascinated how he discovered us. Three, two, one. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Welcome to Yippie Kai Mother Podcast. I'm Ralph Quattrucci. I'm Sean Paul Murphy. I'm John Quattrucci. I'm Chris Coker. I'm Drew Gould. And I'm um, special guest Gary Milstein. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Gary. Yeah. Uh, we have a very special guest. Gary uh, found us. Somehow he found us and asked to be on the show. Nobody's ever asked to be on the show, so we're thrilled. Wow. Gary, give us your credentials and then uh, tell us tell us how you found us, please. Yeah, please. sure. Hey, uh, great to be here. Thank you for allowing me to invade your your space. Um, I uh, I've been right. I'm a screenwriter primarily. I've been writing for a long time. I started off my life my work life as a film publicist. Uh, I did that for for a while after I graduated from college. I worked for Universal Pictures for for a bit, uh, and then I ter- w- uh, moved into writing television episodic television. Um, and over the course of the years, I've written many, many TV movies, some episodic TV feature films, a lot of stage plays. Um, and I uh, just, I wrote two novels and I had one novel published in August. I had another novel coming out this fall. And uh, since 2007, I've been a uh, contributing film reviewer and arts feature writer for the Los Angeles Times, uh, which is which has brought my fantasy of writing, being a film reviewer for a major daily paper, my childhood fantasy to full, uh, to full circle, which has been a great experience, totally fun. Uh, and I found, um, I found this podcast. I, I think I just found it on, on Twitter. I think, you know, you, you have, you have a great sort of system of running all your, you know, running all the shows, you know, running the ads for them, kind of like a, a revolving thing. And I found it and, and you were talking about Streets of Fire and I was like, I gotta listen to that. And then I did and I was hooked and then I listened to other ones and, uh, and it was great. So, um, yeah. So I was just excited to. And you uh, still wanted to be on it. Wow. Still wanted to be on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, uh, we have the other writer in the group, Sean, to thank us. Thank for the uh, Twitter. Yeah, he's Sean the Twitter guy. Good job. So this is amazing. We have two writers in the show. Yeah. That, that oh, was, we're going to be just, ringing that bell. That bell is going to be some, Those are some credentials you get. Yeah. You guys. I mean, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> All right. Great. So welcome aboard. Yeah. So when Thanks Gary called, when Gary got in touch, he, uh, he wanted to do a film and the film Gary wanted to do was Taxi Driver, which fit right into the theme of the show, which is fantastic. But. Before we do that, like he said, he found us through the podcast we did about Streets of Fire, which about half the crew here liked, half the crew didn't. I don't but think Gary, it was 50-50. I don't think it was. I don't think so. <laughs> Gary actually has a connection to that film, which would, which is what made it so interesting. So, Gary, why don't you tell us your connection? And if anybody wants to jump in and uh, you know, yeah. talk about it, let's go. Uh, in my first life, and you have to remember that I started working when I was eight, um, but I was a publicist for Universal Pictures. And... Um, this was at the time that Streets, I had just started working at the studio in LA when Streets of Fire came out. Um, it was, uh, the summer of May of 1984, I think. Um, and, um, there was a new, new regime that had come in. The, the movie was, was produced under the old, old regime. There was a, another president, another head of marketing and all that. And I think uh, over the course of my, my few years working at Universal, there were probably like three different regimes that I worked for. And, um, so, 
the on the morning we'd always have these marketing meetings uh, every monday morning and if we had a movie that opened the weekend before the marketing meeting was sort of like a postmortem on what happened over the weekend good or bad you know about, about the movie and streets of fire had just opened and um it did not open well uh and uh you know i just remember the what what the the prevailing feeling was well we love the movie it didn't work you know and uh, and that was and that was it uh and but the the thing was and i i i when you when you were talking about it on the podcast and you talked about how regimes are not new regimes aren't necessarily looking for the old you know the the films produced by the old regime that they're kind of like yeah you know that are kind of the orphans um really they, about them succeeding but i have to say i think that, you know they really wanted the movie to succeed because Joel Silver was a big uh, producer was a big producer um uh, Walter Hill was a big director uh was a, it was a hot movie there was a big soundtrack they really wanted it to work i mean I, i have to say it was a hard movie to market uh i don't know if it would be easier now harder now i don't know but i think having been in on on much of the marketing of what went on with that you know tremendous amount of effort was put into making that movie work but i remember seeing a screening of it on the on the universal lot in the in the alfred hitchcock theater which is their kind of big theater there and it was just like just unbelievable i mean this it was like the best place you could watch a movie at the time and the the, the sound was phenomenal the picture was beautiful and it was just gorgeous you know and i remember watching this movie saying man this is the second the second time i saw it i said god this movie it's got to find an audience it's so great and then it didn't you know which was disappointing and i was i've always been a huge fan of the soundtrack Noah yeah. Fast is like one of my all-time favorite. Great soundtrack. Cuts of any movie. Uh, I love Diane Lane. I've always been a huge Diane Lane fan, and and uh, I just I just love the movie. Now I have to say I've not seen the movie in a while, and what I always find is that when I see these movies that I loved from the seventies, eighties, uh, when I was maybe a little less formed as a you know as a person that you know as an adult or as a you know a, a watcher of movies. Um sometimes it's a little disappointing and sometimes I don't go back and watch these movies because I want to preserve you know the joy that I had and the love that I had and I think of various scenes in the movie and various lines and you know uh Amy Madigan's great line you know with uh, with uh, Willem Dafoe all all the great stuff in that movie and I don't want it to not work you know so um I'm just I I I saw it a while ago and I'm not not like yesterday maybe 10 years ago or something like and I still enjoyed it but but I the PS of the story is that I was at a a, a Starbucks here in LA maybe I don't know 8 years ago 10 years ago something and uh we were sitting outside having a coffee with a friend and who walks up but Michael Pare <laughs> and he actually knew the person that I was having coffee with who was just I don't know I forget who it was but like they knew each other and they he came up and said hello and i was like oh my god michael pray you know like michael pray like he he comes up he's like this just really nice charming humble guy you know he's not you know <laughs> streets of fire and <laughs> and i just said to him i i i said i'm a huge streets of fire fan i said as a matter of fact and this was the truth driving over i was listening to the cassette it was long enough ago that you could have a cassette player in your car but the cassette the cassette of the soundtrack driving over to coffee today is oh you're shitting me is like no no really it was great so that was very cool um but uh you know i've always loved the movie and actually before i started working at the uh at the studio i was working in the field for universal and uh, in, in new york at the time and we did we had a a, a marketing meeting uh the year before that 1983 
And we, we all came out to the studio and we took a tour of the set of Streets of Fire and they had, because we were shooting at that point, like the right. year before, eight months before or something. And Joel Silver took us on a tour of it, showed us showed, you know, clips of the movie. And, you know, you just would have thought this movie was going to be, you know, Star Wars two or something. You know, you just thought this was going to be the biggest thing to ever come down the pike. So yeah, you, you can't predict, you know, you just can't predict what's going to happen yeah. with movies. I and I work. Yeah. I don't remember seeing it when it came out, when it came out. When did it, was it 86? When did that come out? 84. 84. 84. 84. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, looking at it now, it just seemed, it just seemed Walter Hill, you know, you heard the podcast, so it doesn't matter. But the other Michael Perret soundtrack I want to, you know, bring up is Eddie and the Cruisers. Eddie and the Cruisers. Absolutely. That's a great soundtrack. So great. Like, and I yeah. have tickets to go see, uh, Beaver. What's his Beaver name? Brown. Beaver Brown Band. I was supposed to see him two years ago and the COVID happened and I couldn't. And I They're from Rhode tickets. Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. Um, does that go ahead? Chris, hey, Gary, let me ask you a question. Gary, was it, did, did it not do well because, uh, the competition at the time or they just, the, the marketing of it couldn't capture what that movie really was. Cause it is a tough yeah. movie to define. I think that's really it. I, I think that the marketing, uh, you know, if you remember the, the, the poster was kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a drawing, kind of like a, a mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call it, kind of stylized drawing of, of uh um of Michael Pere and Diane Lane, he's holding the gun, you right. know, the rifle, it's all the colors. I, I just think it's very I remember I remember they there was copy on the on the poster and it was kind of like long copy, really trying to explain what this was in kind of a fun, entertaining way. And I think it was just kind of hard to capture, yeah. you know, the essence of that movie. And maybe it was just at a time that was the year, I mean uh, that was the year uh, the summer what came out? Ghostbusters, Karate Kid. Uh, 84 was a big year for movies, yeah. for movies. And I think it just got a little lost. And, and the, also there were no big star names in a Willem Dafoe. Yeah, I was just going to say Michael Perret wasn't box office. You know, even to this day, if, if Michael Perret, if you had Michael Perret, uh, Diane Lane, uh, Willem Dafoe and Amy Madigan in a movie, it still wouldn't necessarily, nobody still goes, you know, there's no guarantee. You know, it, it was, they were, it was a great cast. There were great actors. There's still great actors. You know, it's just very hard to, you know, to find a, a hook into a movie like that. Um, and the soundtrack was, I th- again, I think it's a great soundtrack. Great I don't, soundtrack. I don't remember the soundtrack getting a lot of airplay, honestly. Um, I, one song be- became a hit. Yeah, I can dream about you. I can dream about you. That was a yeah. huge hit. But, you know, to the Nowhere Fast and Tonight is What It Means to Be Young are great, great songs. Uh, you know, and Jim Steinman was an you know, amazing composer. He did all the meatloaf stuff. Um, so the fact that those are kind of obscure, tracks to this day is kind of weird you know so many years later uh, i just think it's a hard it was a hard movie to market and uh i i just like i said i know the studio put a lot behind it you know really try to try to make it work but uh it's just it was it was a tough one but i and hope monday morning it. you got you guys have that meeting and you realize the friday box office the weekend box office is terrible right. what happens then it's just you just do you pull it out of theaters? It just drops. What yeah. what goes on? At the time, I mean, it's obviously very different than than it is now. But at the time, uh, movies were booked. Yeah, you know, especially big studio movies were booked booked into into first run theaters right. for a number of weeks. You know, they had a probably a, a I don't know maybe a four six week run guarantee or something, maybe less. I don't know. Um, and you'd lose theaters over the weeks, but by and large, you had to keep it going. You had to spend money. Uh, a lot of times, what would happen is that if it had a if it didn't have a great opening. Uh, they would spend more, like a whole new, they'll do, they do a whole new TV campaign, let's say, for it. You know, okay, the angle we took maybe didn't 
theaters. We got to keep, keep people getting people in there. Maybe we'll try something else. So there was a lot of that. Certainly when a movie, uh, you know, gets great reviews, you can, you can market those. A lot of times actors would go on, you know, we do publicity after the fact as well, just to keep it going. Uh, but now it's so different. You know, movies, movies have a short, a very short, if they have any window at all, they've got a very short window. Right. And that, and that's a problem. But back then a lot was put into it. I mean, when I first started uh, as a publicist, I mean, I went on press tours. You know, around into all these cities with actors or directors or, or people connected to, to films, you know, that the studios would send out people in a million years. You'd never think they would send out to, you know, spend money on to this day, but they did. And we put together full on press tours to, locally in, in smaller cities, you know, to promote the movies because the it was all theatrical. There was, there was no cable. There was no nothing, you know, like there is now. Uh, there are other ways of seeing movies, but not, you know, not like it is now. So it was very, very different. Marketing is very different. Well, the movie did a lot do. better on video and on cable. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris has been dying to jump in. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Um, well, I have an unusual kind of question, and I'm not sure how much, you know, insight you would have into this. But, like, one of the things I remember, um, you know, I was – I came of age in the 80s, right? In the 80s, I remember 80s films. That's where I fell in love with films and things like that. But one of the things I remember, especially for the time before – you could own a movie when VHSs were just prohibitively expensive. And most people didn't even really, at best, you had a VH, you know, VCR to rent, you know, movies and that kind of thing. I noticed that there wasn't any, and obviously the soundtrack was the primary focus. You know, the, the idea was the music would drive people to the movie and the movie would drive people to the music. Right. But I've noticed that like, there was no novelization, which was almost just like a standard thing back then. And don't get me wrong. It's not like a super narrative driven film, but I mean, I have novelizations of movies that are very light, you know, and they would, you know, they'd hire some writer to pad them out and they would. Yeah. That's um, true. That's a good point. I, I mean, for, for that movie, I can't imagine, you know, what a novelization would be or who would read it. But still, there, like you said, there, there were novelizations back then of the most unlikely movies. And where are novelizations now? God, that's a whole new business I could tap into. Well, Tarantino I, just did. Well, he just yeah, did, he did, right? Yeah. Yeah, they still actually no, write there. Not, but um, I was just going to say I actually have, and this is going to sound odd, but I actually have the novelization to uh, Ridley Scott's first film, The Duelists. If you want to talk oh, about that, is odd. How do you make that? But you know, back then, like look at The Duelist. That was like a big, that was a, a big Paramount picture. Mm -hmm. like, like Harvey Keitel, right? Yeah, Harvey Keitel yeah, he he parody. The you know, so it's, it's it's a high tone kind of thing. I don't think the movie did anything, but yeah, you could see them just saying, "Oh, let's do it. Let's you know, let's satisfy you know the the, the intellectual side of the potential moviegoer for the for this movie." Um, you know, but movies were. I mean, I could talk forever about seventies movies. I mean, they they, they were oh, it was just. God. It was just different. It was it was just different. You know, it was just so yeah, different. It was different. I bemoan it all the time. I feel you know a hundred years old when I do it, but it's like. I, you know, those were the, those were the days, you know, for movies. And I feel like I have to take a shower after I watch those 70. John <laughs> can't handle the, he can't. Uh, handle Chris, the, uh, they should have done a graphic novel because it visually it fit a graphic novel perfectly. If there was back then. Yeah. But now, did, yeah. Okay. Does the novelization and a graphic novel come out if the movie's successful or does it come out as part of the. Sometimes they come out film? simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. They usually would yeah. come out simultaneously. I'm like a big fan of that stuff. Like, let me put it this way. They're, they used to have these things called storybooks, right? Which were, you know, they had images from the film and they would basically be like a, a, a kid, a, almost like a kidified version. And I had the Star Wars storybook, which had all these scenes that did not appear in the right. movie. And now that the, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays have come out with all these extra, like, you know, deleted scenes, you're like, this is where it all came from. Even if you read like the comic, like the Marvel comic book adaptations, yep. 
I think what would do, and, and Gary, you would know better than me, um, I think the idea was is they would give these folks, whether they were doing the novelization or the comic book, they would give them the, sh- the final shooting script. So like there are like significant changes in these things because they had to have them ready for when the film came out, you know? And so like, for example, um, you know, one of my David Lynch's Dune, right? Obviously that's no novelization because it was based on a book or, but like the, the comic book and the storybook end the way the, the way that the book ends, but the film ends differently because De Laurentiis didn't like the ending. So like, it's funny, you read these things and you're like, well, wait a minute, that didn't happen in the movie. And I remember as a kid, it like, I would read these and I would see these differences and it would make me think it's kind of when I realized that, you know what, they don't use everything in the final movie. It was like my first introduction to editing was uh, the the star Wars storybook, you know, it really was, you know, like when you're doing an existing book like Dune, you know, that's what they're going to publish. Then they publish, uh, put the, the cover art, the movie art on it and mm-hmm. do like a book tie-in, but you're going to end up with that. But I think, and again, I, I don't even know if they do them anymore or have done them in a long time, but I, I would say back then what they did was they, um, you know, they would shoot the movie and then they'd have the, the final script. And it's not like they were publishing the script. They were publishing a, a narrative version of it. So mm-hmm. there was plenty of time between the time the movie was done and the time it came out to publish an advanced novel. And sometimes they didn't do it until after the fact. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I may have a few left over in my closet somewhere, but I think there's probably a lot of people, you know, movie fans like us, you know, for, you know, from back in the day who, who have those tie-ins, I think we'd be shocked to see what some of those movie book tie-ins and the fact that people bought them. I mean, yeah, they were like 75 cents back then, but you know, the people actually bought them, um, which is, well, crazy. I could say in two cases of my movies, um, one of my movies, uh, Sarah's choice. They wanted to do, um, the studio wanted to do a novelization, but they wanted the uh, lead actress to write it. Oh, but she wasn't really an actress. So they hired ghostwriters. I was up for ghostwriting it, but we didn't get it. And the ghostwriter made more than the screenwriters. But the actress wasn't much of a writer. That's what he meant. Well, she wasn't writing it at all. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, you said the actress wasn't much of an actress. But I'm confused. They no, no, no. Novel- she wasn't much of a um, writer. 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 Okay. So did we, ba- you know, we were, you know, she was the star of the thing. She was the draw. She was also a recording, a Grammy winning recording artist. So, you know, she had a big, um, you know, platform, as they would say. And she had written books before. I don't know. Oh. Hopefully she actually wrote them. But this book, she didn't, wouldn't have written a single word of it. So in that case, but recently, my most recent project, Revelation Road, based on a movie I wrote, it's a streaming series. Sony is producing it. And Sony is very interested in having a graphic novel. And part of my contract for um, having the movie made is I have write a first um, negotiation on the graphic novel, which... Um, Sony is very interested in doing in theory, but they haven't approached me yet. But, you know, and if the book, if it's going to happen, I'll be writing it, you know. And, and, when, and you would have had Michael Paré in that film? <laughs> we need Michael Paré. What, what, Sean, when will that series, when will we see that series? It just finished shooting in South Africa, seven mm-hmm. episodes. I don't know. Frankly, it's a, I can't talk because of my contract about it. Ah. I can't talk about the details publicly. You'd have to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got it. But um, it, I, I suspect it'll be a year before oh, it's You just out. talked a lot about it. <laughs> I didn't give you any specifics. Oh, okay. 
And I also have um, a non-disparagement clause. No. Why did you have to tell us that? Did you want to disparage? (laughs) Not at all. I'm trying to endorse the series. I have a disparagement clause. I would like that clause here. Can we have that clause here too for the show? Because a lot of disparagement goes on in this show. Actually, can can I go on a a little side thing with Gary? Uh, Sure. sure. You just did, but let's do it. Let me put you in a separate room so we can talk. No, no, no. Just one one screenwriting question. Because not just my contracts, but every contract I've been seeing from other writers who show them to me, they're all getting, you know, NDAs on them and non-disparagement. Before this year, I had never, no one had ever handed me a I've never, I've never seen it. I just, you know, I, I, just, I just signed two contracts. I didn't remember seeing it, but they, it could be in there. I don't know. These are TV movies, so I don't know whether they would, would even do that, but that's interesting. Yeah, because, Sean, that's, that's because there was a, a film trilogy that, was supposed to be made into a streaming series and there was a lot of stuff to work out that was quite uh intense and so after a result of that negotiation to now make a sony streaming series it changed the way that contracts are written <laughs> that that i do not have a non-disclosure on only a non-disparagement no but other people pretty you know because a lot of screenwriters reach out to me on twitter and all and they've been showing me these contracts i've never seen so many ndas because NDAs are something that, because of the Me Too movement, are supposedly like unethical and immoral. Because that's how people got away with stuff, right. you know. So in theory, we Hollywood wasn't going to do the NDA thing anymore. But now I'm seeing all of them. But back to back to the show. Oh, you know, you know, when you see movie review shows, you don't get a lot of contract talk. So if this isn't the time to subscribe, I don't know what would be. But. Wow, so Thank you for bringing I that. I can't believe how, how you can bring that all in like that. Yeah. Um, I, but I want to ask Gary one question about Streets of Fire. How did it do with the previews? Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, I, the screening I was at was just like a screening for the studio, you know, yeah. and people were crazed. They thought it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. To watch that movie on it with great sound on a great screen, yeah. with, you know, you know, 400 people who were supportive and want the movie to do well so they can keep their job. Uh, you know, everybody was really behind it, but it was a great experience. I had seen it in theater, theater, you know, theaters after that as well. And, you know, if you, if you could find a place that had a decent audience, number of people in it, there was always a great response to it. It was just getting people there. Like it was, I well, just don't Chris see Chris and I were big fans. Uh, the rest of the guys, I, know. I just don't, I don't see how it could have played to like the normal moviegoer, like people, the average moviegoer. I just don't think they'd get that film. Probably not. You know, you have right. to know. I mean, you guys, you guys are all immersed now in we're film. Talking we're all down immersed to the in audience. film. I'm not talking down to the audience. I just bit. don't think that that one, no disparagement. I think I got to put that in. I there. think, I think that uh, was a little disparagement. Well, I just think it wouldn't play in the, in the malls. That's all. This is a strange film. Well, I mean, it was a rock and roll fable. Rock and roll fable. I mean, or whatever they were hoping that the mute, the soundtrack and the music was going to make that movie. I mean, obviously. Right. It's a great cast. Everyone seems like so many people went on to do bigger and better yeah. things. Oh, no. Yeah, it was. And the music was great. I mean, like, uh, Gary, you said, I, I bought the soundtrack right after I saw the movie. I've had it for as long as the movie's been out, and I love it. I still listen to it all the time. It's great. Had music. I known you, then I could have gotten you one for free. Those cassettes back in the day were like eight bucks a piece. Yeah, they were an actual album. All right, let's get back in time and talk about uh, what the film Gary wanted to bring, a brilliant film called Taxi Driver. So what do you want to hack for, Pickle? I can't sleep nights. 
You know, I, the reason I wanted to talk about Taxi Driver was um, I, as a huge 70s movies fan, I always look back on, I, I saw that movie in a screening room back when I was in Boston, living in Boston, and I, re- and I was in co- I know, college, I think, and I remember just being so incredibly blown away by it and seeing the movie a number of times after that and just still being so riveted. And I was a film student, too. So we were always watching movies um in, in like you know you'd want you'd look at it for like cinematography you'd watch it for music you'd watch it for editing it was like like these courses i took in a, around that time like you were watching all these pieces of it and this was when movies were just like so everything that movies like that that were being made they were, they were just so beautiful and so like artistic and you know in a, i think in an accessible way um and uh, as as a lot of early scorsese's movies were um but i remember seeing the movie and thinking it was amazing and I hadn't seen the movie start to finish in many, many years. And I had COVID in January and I was like in bed for like a couple of days. I was, I had, you know, really, was really out of it. So I watched, I had propped up my computer and watched Netflix or whatever, Amazon, whatever. And I went through, I said, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm going to watch something that I haven't seen in a long time that I really care about. So I watched Taxi Driver and it was just mind blowing watching this movie. So many years later, and like I said, I really hadn't seen it start to finish in many, many years. And, you know, like everything, you have to judge these movies, I think, based upon the time they were made. Yeah, it and is a movie of its time. It's very much. I mean, I just yeah. watched three, I watched Three Days of the Condor uh, uh, a while ago, and I just couldn't. Yeah, you know, but I got to tell you, I, I and I, I listened to your you, you did a, a podcast on Three Days of the Condor. Right? I listened to that and, and I was just. Three Days of the Condor, I loved when it came out. I thought it was like one of the great all-time movies of the 70s. And I watched it again. And I was like, boy, this is really stupid. You know, I mean, it just, like, it, just it just, it just, it was like the whole thing. Well, you brought it up in the podcast, the whole thing with him and Faye Dunaway. It was just ridiculous. And I don't know, whatever. So you watch this Well, again, movie. that was the two we talked about, the two big yeah. stars. Yeah. They had to do yeah. something. And yeah. Yeah, sure. And sure. also, I mean, you just couldn't buy Robert Redford on a moped. 
Yeah, well, the whole thing was 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 silly, but I remember thinking it was a phenomenal movie back then. I still liked, it. I still enjoyed watching it. I just looked at it and said, you know, this wouldn't fly today. So uh, there's a lot of that now. In Taxi Driver, to me, I I and I I've talked about Taxi Driver and referenced it so much in my in my life, not in my writing necessarily, but just kind of like in my movie, my my favorite movie life. When people say, "What are your favorite movies?" and all that, because um, I just think it's so brilliant. But um, watching it again, I had to kind of compartmentalize. Because the movie is beautiful. I mean, the movie, the cinematography, even watching it on my computer, the cinematography is amazing. Uh, the score by Bernard Herrmann, it was his last score, it was gorgeous. The acting is superb in that movie. And the funny thing is, I mean, De Niro is great, but Sybil Shepherd was excellent. I, I, you know, you don't think of her as that like, might be her the best in the movie. It, yeah, it, I think so. And she was great, you know, and, 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 uh, and all of it. But the problem was, for me, that the movie is very, very um, um, misogynistic. It's very homophobic. And when you, but that is what things were back, back then. You know, it didn't, it, I don't want to say it didn't mean anything, but it didn't, like, it didn't mean the way we look at it right. today necessarily. Well, I, I have, have a question for you about that. Yeah. Do you think the film was homophobic or misogynistic or the characters? The characters. That's a good question. I mean, it's, I, I see the distinction there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, um, it's a good question. It's hard to say. I mean, but, but you, you walk away feeling like I, I, I want people who've never seen this movie to watch it. You know, I came to it with love and history and could, and, and could, you know, sort of push, push some of those things aside and still think it's a brilliant movie, but it takes it away a little bit. And I think if we watch so many movies from that period, and frankly, you don't have to go back as far as the seventies and go watch. Movies in the nineties, you know, which, which are, which seems so, you know, kind of off right now in terms of we're in a different, such, such a different place right now in terms of what you do and don't do and should and shouldn't say. And I, I understand all that. And I, as a writer, I, I come up against it a lot and, and have to navigate it and try to do it, you know, be, do it the right way and be respectful. But, you know, you go back. I mean, look, one of my favorite movies of, of all time is 16 Candles and the John Hughes movie. I've seen it a trillion times. I love it to death. I, you know, I just can't, but you know, even then when I first saw it, it was like, man, this is a terrible, uh, just a, you know, terrible depiction of, of an Asian character. And you watch it now. It's just, it is just beyond the pale, but the, you know, what, what do you do with that? You know, it's like, what, how do you, how do you, you know, how do that's, you kind of compartmentalize that's the question. it? I don't know. It's how difficult. We... It's even it's more difficult when one of your best actors who you love to watch gets caught up in a scandal. And well, right. you, you talk about Absolutely. Woody Allen, Kevin Spacey, just go down the list. And yeah. now those movies become, I don't want to watch Annie Hall anymore. I don't right. want to. And Annie Hall, one of my right. favorite films, you know, it's, yeah. it's a difficult thing to be a fan. It is. Now, now that's different than what you're talking about, which is we're realizing that you go back in the, like even Blazing Saddles, John was saying last yeah. week that you get a little tinge. You're still laughing, but it's like, yeah. oh, and that's the taxi driver. There are scenes where those cabbies are all sitting around the table talking about stuff. And you're, right. you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. And, and then, you know, the whole, even, and this, I just read that apparently, you know, uh, Travis Bickle going into the porn theaters, uh, you know, all the time because he couldn't sleep. That apparently Paul Schrader, who wrote the movie, actually did that. He went through a period where he just, they were just open all night. So he would go in. You know, and that was so much of its time. And then you look at it, like you watch it and you say, yeah, I know Travis Bickle's not like the most connected guy, but he's got this gorgeous woman that he's taking on a date. Would he really take her to a porno movie, you know, on 42nd Street? Would she even go? I mean, he was predestined. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. Schrader is a very Calvinist guy. Yeah. Even the De Niro character is saying, "Am I pre? I'm predestined to do this." Yeah, if yeah. you look at like hardcore. Yeah, you know, Schrader's yes. other yeah. film. Yeah, another good film. And it's the most recent film. But anyway, so, you know, I, I watched it with uh, through that a lot of that prism, you know, being sort of critical, being, you know, look, looking back with, with perspective, uh, being more evolved, you know, I, I hope, you know, than, than, than maybe any of us were back then because whatever. Um, but I still think it's a brilliant movie. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I think it's very powerful. I think it I think the themes, you know, are pretty much right on for today. Uh, I, it was very well. The movie felt very relevant. Um Sadly, you know, New York is a better place. Theoretically, you know, it's like it looks better. It's you know more inviting. The, the, the it's, it's just different. It's different. That was, that was very much of of its time. You know, New York in the in the seventies. You watch any any of the movies we love from New York in the seventies, whether it's Three Days of the Condor, Hellhole. Yeah, I watched a while ago. I watched French Born Connection, to, Born to Win. Did you see that movie with George Siegel and Karen Black? Born to Win from nineteen seventy one. Yeah, the city just looked like a you know just like yeah. a cesspool. Um, no, we're shot by Owen. What's his name? He was our Reitzman. Owen Reitzman, isn't he? Our Reitzman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just, I think the movie, uh, was, was great. I think De Niro, it's a phenomenal performance. Uh, I, again, I showed the Civil Shepherd was great. I have to say, I was a little disappointed in Jodie Foster's performance in it. Uh, not her performance, not the work that she did, but it was a very small part. I mean, yeah. I kind of, it, it loomed so large in the history of movies. And yet watching it, it was like, she doesn't come into it until very deep into the movie, you know, in any significant way. And she's not in it that much. So that was surprising to me. Uh, be- I kind of always thought she was in it more, that she was a little more meaningful in it. Yeah. And the irony is she was nominated for an Oscar for it, which may, you know, which may seem like a bit of a stretch. Not when you look at who she became, it doesn't feel like so much of a stretch. But back then, you know, for a very small part in this movie... And yet the, the actress who won supporting actress that year wanted for an even smaller part, which is Beatrice Strait and Network. Who, who Network. Won she had one scene. One scene, you know, maybe, maybe two, but one really, really good one scene. One monologue, that, really. And that was the and, and, and Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader was not nominated for, for best screen, screenplay, which is kind of amazing. When you look back on now, and you look. You know, I, I was about to say for one thing along your lines, one film too, which is, I think is misinterpreted is a film difficult to watch is um, my favorite Western, which is the searchers because John Wayne's character is so outwardly racist towards Indians. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people want that film banned or not shown, but the thing is, even at the time, his character was an outcast because of his opinion. That's why when the film ends, everyone's happy. Everyone, you know, the reunion, everyone's happy. And he's standing outside and the door closes on him. Isolated. The film is condemning the racism, but people are are missing the nuance of the character and what the filmmaker was trying to say, like this film, like, is this film misogynistic? Is this film homophobic? You know, it's hard to say, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated character. And I think it is as relevant today. Yeah. my, My wife, who's normally on the podcast, and this isn't the reason she's not here, though, is um, she was really offended by the whole, you know, having this young actress, you know, you know, she really felt it was child abuse having um, Jodie Foster in this movie. Sean, has she seen the movie? And a lot of people make the same argument. Did she watch the movie recently or has she seen it? Yeah, she just watched it with me a week ago, you know. Uh, But she just 
A lot of people said the same thing about um, the girl in The Exorcist as well. Right. They did. They did. But now, Sean, wasn't in The Searchers, wasn't that also about a, a, a guy who was, did John Wayne kind of connect with a younger a young girl or something? Wasn't it a similar thing? Yeah, he was trying to rescue his niece, right, but right. not to save her, but to kill her. Yeah. Okay. Because she had right. been contaminated. Right. He was like saving her virtue by killing her. Mm-hmm. And the subtext, which isn't in the film, but apparently John Ford, when they start, you know, because you could tell that the um, John Wayne's character had feelings for the um, his brother's wife, because this girl he's searching for is his niece. That right before they started shooting the first scene, John Ford walked up to him and said, she's your daughter, mm. oh, you know, to, to be his motivation mm. for the character and his obsession with finding her and killing her, you know, mm. but... um yeah, I mean, wow. it sounds like a weird plot. Yeah. But, but if you were as racist and as hateful of Native Americans as his character was, yeah. it made sense within the story. Right, right. But right. also, coming back to Taxi Driver, you know, forget the controversial elements of the film, which there are many. But structurally, I don't think they would make a movie like this now. No. You know, where, like, exactly because of what you said, like Jodie Foster. You know, she comes in late. She's barely in the film. But she's really a catalyst for, you know, ultimately for the, you know, I think one of my problems with movies now is I think everything's trying to squeeze into the save the cat paradigm, you know. And it's sort of like this has to happen by this amount of pages. This has to happen. This has state, you know, theme stated by page three, you know, so on and so on. Did I think, you know, screenwriters and directors don't have the same luxury to come into a story in a different way? I mean, I even think about Runaway Train, that Rebecca de Mornay's character doesn't come in until halfway through the movie. And you know, she's going to show up. She's on the poster. But if they remade that movie, they would show her at near the beginning which would ruin the surprise of her showing up halfway through the movie. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I think all, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think movies in the seventies and, you know, it, it actually, you go back to like, you know, we watch movies from the forties or whatever. The, the, the whole way stories are told is a little different, you know? And then when you come up to the seventies where it was so director driven and everything was like hands off, let's just let these auteurs do what they do because it's cool. Uh, you had a lot of people who were just letting the camera roll and, you know, the editing was very different. The length of scenes was different. Uh, I, I don't know if structurally it, they meant it to be different because you're still telling a story with a beginning, middle and an end, but the, 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 the proportions may have been very different. You know, maybe yeah, that's what I'm talking about. if we wrote the movie today, maybe, maybe, um, uh, the movie would have been really about, about travel, Travis Bickle at the end of the first act. You know, meeting up with, with Iris, the, you know, the 12 year old hooker and them going on this journey together to solve the ills of the city, you know, and, and, and all of that. So that, that's kind of where, you know, that, that's the more modern retelling of it and then well, changing, changing each other along the way. They would also well, the show movie was, the movie yeah. was written, um, recently, uh, by people who I don't think understood the king of comedy or taxi driver and they made Joker. Yeah. And. Mm-hmm. Joker, I think, wants to be cut from the same cloth, and it's not a good movie. And it looks like they watched something like Taxi Driver and other movies and said, "Man, look how ugly that is! Look how horrible people are." Let's That's do that movie. 
Yeah. Never yeah. mind the connection to, you know, Batman and all that other stuff. I mean, there's yeah. one scene in that movie that I like, which is when he kills his boss, but refuses to, uh, but declines to kill his little person friend because that little person was the only person who was nice to him. Mm-hmm. And the movie is about a guy who's like, well, nobody's nice to me. So, um, murder. I mean, that's yeah. not really, that's not the only thing that taxi driver is about. Taxi driver is about a guy who feels like he doesn't get attention and he right. responds with violence, which is, yeah. you know, he, he puts it in a, in a, a way as if he's doing justice because he's going to rescue this girl, but it's still, I mean, he's doing it for the, he was going to kill the violence. candidate. Right. Yeah. No, he was going to do a political yeah. assassination and he's going to save a girl, but he, he, you know, he, he's, he doesn't have any problem with killing what he kills Harvey Keitel and I think two other oh, people yeah. when he does mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I, th- I think, uh, you know, if you watched movie uh, Taxi Driver, if you watch Taxi Driver and Network every five years, you would, th- th- it would, th- you'd relate to them in a different way every five years or every period 100%. of time, you know, yeah. and, and that's the beauty of a movie like Taxi Driver, despite, you know, what may be problematic with it to the, this day, not artistically, but just, you know, some, some, well, some both those films, like if you watch it every five years, they bring something new that's happening yeah. in the, in the culture. You know, and they're very prescient. I yes. John hates that word, but it's that's those films do. Now, the other thing about this, you talk about the seventies auteur. There's scenes where they're just sitting around, like three cabbies, four cabbies, just sitting around, and there's characters that have, like, a couple characters just are talking to him or just even looking at him, going, "Why is he looking out the window?" Nowadays, we'd have to explain everybody and everything that's going on. Yeah, that's the and other. And here problem. we just let it play out, and you're you're looking at Travis Bickle the whole time watching his mannerisms because De Niro's doing such a great job that these other people now the one character is um Peter Doyle Wizard Doyle Wizard was great i mean you know he's you know his his he's the one kind of father figure for for this guy and he's crazy too yeah. and 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 i just like that things just happen for no reason plus let's new york city you're right that's a character in this film like every yeah. 70s film that the the porn shops that he goes into, the driving down the street with all the stuff going on, I mean that that stuff. All these movies, seventies movies, make New York look like that naturally, not fake like the Joker you're saying, but yeah. naturally, it's just well, they, part just, of the they were just shooting what was there on the street. That's exactly. right. That's right. Now, did you guys did you guys see um, the series um, uh, the, Deuce? the Deuce? Yeah, the HBO series The Deuce. Well, if you haven't seen it, it, you really owe it to yourself because it's a, it's a, it's basically it's an homage to the seventies, basically, and and it's three seasons. The first season is seventy one, the second season seventy takes place in seventy seven, and the third season I think is eighty three. I love the show. The show is wow. Great. Is that with James Franco? See, there Franco, you go. Yeah. Can't watch yeah. it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. David Simon. And also, Ralph, Ralph, you can't watch it because it was. Uh, Produced I know. by George Pelicano. I know. We don't want to talk about that, please. The other cool thing about that, the place that we get all our movies from, or our old, our old pal Al, uh, the the uh, archive, they're the ones who uh, get uh, re, uh, fixed all the porn films. They restored all those porn films that they yeah. use. Those guys up in, uh, uh, in Connecticut, Bridgeport. So there's a little connection there with the deuce, including well, throwing that guy When out. you talk about like, you know, showing like how the Joker did like a, a, a recreation of, you know, of terrible New York. They did the same thing in the deuce and they redid 42nd street. And it's, it, it, it I mean, it's, it, they, it, it's accurate, but it's funny because they have these great theater marquees of some of those 42nd street theaters and they're 
the the marquees are just, they're so cool. It's like the way they did them, and they're not right. I mean, they're not in the right place or whatever. But that just doesn't matter. But it's all done on the soundstage. But it was great to see those big marquees and, and how they decided which movies to pick from 1971 and put them on the marquee. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Ralph, I, are we I, gonna usually you show a trailer? Are we gonna show the trailer for Taxi Driver? We'll show it when I do the cut. Well, stop, uh, we, we stop have to directly act, stop directing from your seat. Don't we have to act like we saw the clip? Yeah, no, we're fine. Don't worry about it. Scene. Scene. Thing I like about you know, it's funny. You guys were talking about how you know, narratively, Taxi Driver probably wouldn't be made in the same way. I always get the feeling, and, and rewatching it, um, you know, a few weeks ago, um, one of the biggest things that even when I saw it the first time, probably in the late '80s, when I was in my later teens, um, I was really surprised, and it definitely wouldn't happen today, is that Travis Bickle lives. And not right. only does he live, he thrives to a certain extent. It's a happy and ending. I think that's one of the great, um, you know, from just from like a storytelling angle, that's such a great twist. And I, and I don't mean like a surprise twist, but like just a twist on the idea that here's this guy that he, I mean, he tries to kill himself. He just ran out of bullets, you know? Um, yeah. But the idea that, you know, so many times that, you know, he was going down this, uh, this, this terrible violent, um, path, right? Even though in some ways, at least in his second attempt, there was some morality, I guess you could say, um, in his attempt to save this girl from a terrible life that she was living. Um, but he doesn't make, he, there's no way now he makes it out. Like there's no way, um, you can have a guy like that who does something terrible. You can have him go down shooting. You can have him, you know, suicide by cop. You can have all these different things happening, but there's no way that he gets out of it. And then kind of like, thrives you know he gets the wonderful letter there's uh some you know cu- clippings of him you know hero taxi driver takes on gangster because it turns out like i guess the guy who was there the john who was there was uh, like a something i never got before i don't mafioso. know why he was, like, a, he was a mafia guy you know ma- and um, the owner was a mafia guy yeah. exactly he cop. Was, you know he was there to you know whatever and uh with jody foster and i don't know why that never clicked but i was like that's crazy. And then, well, and then yeah, the, great, the, simple, the great moment, I'm sorry, but the, the great moment when, when, uh, Civil Shepherd comes back, gets back to his cat, cat. you yeah. know, and she looks at him completely differently. But, you know, I read, uh, and I'm going to interrupt. I'm sorry, but I read that, yeah. that people, a lot of critics thought that the ending was a dream sequence that he actually he was dead. Died. He did die. And this was yeah. him. This is Ebert, before, like, Ebert was going, did that. Yeah. Okay. Before he, but then I read that Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader said that he, he, that no, it was not. A dream sequence is what happened, yeah. but yeah, it's I a mean, little, it's a little unlike, you know, seventies movies often like the guy, you know, like remember the gambler, the great yeah. the freeze frame at the end of the gambler. It's just, you know, James Conn with the, the, you know, the bloody face in the mirror and that freeze, mm-hmm. freeze frames. And, you know, like they weren't happy endings necessarily and they could get away with no, it. So it is interesting great. that in that movie. Yeah, I was shocked at that because that whole shot where the camera goes above them. And then it goes down the corridor, the bloody corridor. Then it goes outside. It yeah. seemed to me that, okay, this movie's over. He's dead. And that's how it's going to end. And then all of a sudden they flipped it and you see the thing on the, on his wall, hero taxi driver is like, what the hell? And, and it completely changed the ending. I was really surprised by that. So when I started digging down the rabbit hole, you're right. There's a lot of theories that he died and this was his fantasy. The fact that he mm-hmm. rejected Sybil Shepherd in the cab, which yeah. just his fantasy and. Yeah. He's going right back to where he started from. But Schrader, um, uh, the director, and uh, De Niro all said, because De Niro want to make a sequel. He goes, no, this is is the end. It's a loop. 
that he was heading right back to the beginning where he went down that path again. That's how they described it. Well, I mean, is he going down the, or is he quote unquote cured by the violence? No, because uh, even uh, he said there's one shot when he's driving in the cab where it's red and he's looking in the rear view mirror and he looks kind of suddenly he goes that that was his indication that it was a loop and it was going right back to the beginning. That's what the director said. So, and then uh, he he wrote uh, De Niro wanted to do a sequel and he wrote a treatment and he gave it to Schrader and Schrader said it was the worst thing he's ever seen. He goes, we can't do this. It's the worst thing I've ever read. We cannot do this. So because well, he well, said maybe really Schrader could have helped it at the script level. Well, what Schrader said, no, I, I don't know if it was Schrader. It was either yeah. Schrader or the director who said uh, he was dead after six months because he was right back saying to the, the director. Cycle. Like, we don't know who the, the director is. I, 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 I know, Scorsese. Um, He's in the movie twice. But he said it. He said that he he probably died six months later because that's the path that he was heading for. I couldn't get right. over it. I hadn't seen this in a long time. And there were parts I had completely forgotten about. First of all, Harvey Keitel as a pimp still makes me laugh. I don't know what it is about that character that just doesn't, it just doesn't fit for me. Can't hear you, John. Um, but the cinema, cinematography is amazing. And it starts right at the beginning when that cab comes out of the clock, the, the, the fog. And it had a Jaws feel. It had that feel of, you know, the shark coming through the water. And, and the shots inside the cab where you're seeing the mirror shots and, and like you're saying, Travis Bickle every now you just see a close up of his eyes looking in the mirror and, and the characters again in the back of the cab and the way they shot the cab from inside the cab and yeah. outside the cab in the rain, just for the smoke gorgeous. in the beginning. That's what I mean. That, that yeah. first shot, the very first yeah. shot where that cab's coming through the smoke and you're talking about the Bernard Herman, right? His score. Great score. It's just, it's just. It's just everything. And by the way, okay, so when I saw that, because I hadn't, I hadn't realized that I've never seen this whole movie. I've seen plenty of scenes from it, but I've never seen the whole movie. Wow. So when the credits came up and I saw Bernard Herrmann, any time I can connect something to Citizen Kane, because the thing for me, there were certain motifs in this movie with the music that sounded very Citizen Kane. I couldn't believe it. And I'm going, I wasn't sure if that was the same Bernard Herrmann. And I'm going, well, that was because it had it had that flavor to it. I couldn't believe it. And I thought that the cinematography was very documentary style. Now, maybe that was because of their budget. But like for me, like, you know, Ralph loves the 70s movies. I'm not a big fan of the 70s movies because I find them grimy, dirty, exactly. um, just unpleasant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when I'm watching this movie. It's guilty pleasure. I first of all, it's really about his relationship with the two women. Okay, that's basically what the thrust of this movie is. He's racist. He's homophobic, which adds to his isolation. In fact, he'll pick up anybody. In fact, Schrader in the original script, when he goes and kills everybody, uh, the pimp and everybody, originally were all black because that's how racist he was. And the studio said, you can't do this. You can't have all blacks. You got to have some whites in there. So that just added as as awful as it was to hear all that stuff. It added to his isolation. But for me, I, I can't say I, I, like I love this movie because it's just not the type of movie I love. But I will say this. Watching De Niro, who just did The Godfather Part Two, and knowing what he's going to become, watching his performance in this movie is one of these things where you can't take your eyes off him the entire movie. And the one redemptive scene that he had, because he's going down a really bad path, 
was when he when he was talking to Peter Boyle and says, "Look, I'm having these weird thoughts," and and he's look he's looking for someone to help him to get out of it, and Peter Boyle gives him the absolute worst advice he could give him. But the way he played it, and then where he ended up going, even the scene with the Secret Service guy, the way he played that, to me, it's just I find him like like Brando. I love I love watching him in the movie where where I didn't necessarily love the movie. He's just he just is incredible, and his performance in this is incredible. And he was so young, you know, and, and to, to like I said to to know what he is going to become. Um, was really fun to watch, but I, I was kind of bummed out that I, I I had never seen this before. I thought for sure I did. And then when it's going along, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember any of this. So yeah, it's anyway, not that's an my easy thing. watch. It's not a you know, it's not a light watch. You're not. No, you know, it's not. It's not. Um, uh, and it was tough. It was it was it it was tough. But but like I said, I'm just riveted by watching him. Every every little tick he does, every eye thing he does, it's just an amazing thing. And, and, and uh, Gary, I, so we can ring the bell, but I did a lot of acting, stage acting. And, you know, I used to think, I, I like to think I'm a pretty good actor. And then I watch something like that and I'm going, you know what? I, I'm not even, I'm nothing. I mean, I, you know, I read lines. This guy is like, he becomes these people like Brando does. Same thing with Brando. And there's not a lot of actors that do that. You know, there's a lot of good actors that don't uh, become the character. This guy Michael becomes Perret. Michael <laughs> Perret. But every little tick, every little body movement, there's a purpose to what he does. Yeah. And it's just amazing to watch. I know. I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. And, and like, I, I, you know, I'll say, I, I think I know what I'm doing as a writer, mostly. And then I watch something or see something that he's written. It's like, forget it. You know, it's amazing. Um, well, to me, but, you know, and, and Scorsese was not nominated either as director for the movie, which is like, I don't know how, I don't know who got his spot. That well, it was probably then. a tough movie for critics to watch. I mean, I think that, I think yeah. a lot of people look back on that movie. I don't know how it got reviewed back then. Uh, I, I think really well. Yeah. But I know people look back on it differently now. Yeah. Because, you know, because what Scorsese became and, and De Niro became. So uh, it is a tough movie, tough movie to watch. Well, here's the thing to think that the movie that I think it was the movie that uh, Scorsese did right before uh, Taxi Driver was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. You know, which if you watch it, I, I don't know if you're fans, if you've seen it, I, I, I watched it again recently. It's like it's one, again, one of my all time favorite movies. And that movie is just incredibly well made, incredibly beautiful and well shot. And, you know, it's so artistic and all that. But, you know, it's fun. It's upbeat. You know, it's got a serious core. It's very upbeat. And then to think that just he does a complete 180 right. and does Taxi Driver after that. And to not nominate him for even that 180 is kind of amazing. I'd lo- I would love, I, have to, I didn't look to see who else. I believe was. he didn't want to do this movie. He wasn't the first. I don't think he was the first director. I think there might have yeah. been somebody else that they were interested in. I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. to well, me, it's... what is difficult about this film, you know, I, I've always loved this, you know, this is a film I love and respect, but don't feel the need to watch much. That's, that's fair. But I think what you're saying is a hundred percent true. This is a film you watch every five years and it means a little something different because of the environment you're in. Yeah. And I see this country is incredibly polarized and, Everyone is just so angry all the time. To me, this is a dangerous film now because it's saying, look, 
follow your impulses and you could be a hero. It's, it, yeah. we, we look at it very differently now than we would have five years ago and 10 years ago. But look, wasn't John Hinckley who tried to kill Reagan? Is yeah, that who inspired, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 do What do you do with that? You know, yeah. yeah, but now this level of, you know, this level of, you know, cleansing the world, you know, with, you know, your frustration in life. And, Listen, and also, and, it is very little stated, but I think it's obvious he's suffering from PD, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome because he was a Marine. And this was a Vietnam period. Well, so it's an easy assumption to say. Yeah, that. he's drinking and popping pills the whole movie, too. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he is. I, I think, you know, they didn't bring it. They didn't openly discuss that, which is cool because they didn't need to. Right. But that he's, you know, he's probably, you know, you know, you know, he had probably had a problem with a great deal of violence abroad and he's bringing it home with him. He came home and well, his world is gone. It's, but even you if know, you look I at just the wish inter- a flood would come and wash, you know, wash <laughs> off. And, and it's hilarious, the politician who's trying to agree with them, but then he's saying things like, you know, you got to clean up this town. I wish a flood would come and wash out all the filthy people. And the politician's like, there, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. And do you know that that the actor who played who wasn't really an actor who played the politician Palatine was uh, Leonard Harris, who was a film critic uh, for uh, CBS TV News in New York. And when I was growing up, he was he was my you know my idol TV critic, and he he was just this very kind of hapless guy. You know, he was, he was sort of erudite, but also a little very accessible, and he he used to. Would be on the the six o'clock local, you know, New York New York news, and he used to give rate movies with camera eyes, so that it would get up to five camera eyes and and all of that. And he and I, as a kid, I, I or whenever I was, I, I wrote him a letter, and I just said, "I want to become a film critic. <laughs> what can you tell me?" And he wrote me back this letter, and he says, "I I can't. Mine would not be. I wish I had this letter to show you guys." My, mine would not be the, the mine would not be the example to to take to how to become a film critic. But watch all the movies you can, become well versed in it. Blah blah blah. Good luck to you, you know whatever. But then to see him end up in this movie, I don't know how he ended up in the movie. And he seemed like an actor, and he did well in it. You know, he didn't have a lot of acting to do, but he was certainly a presence. It was pretty funny. But he yeah. was a film, he was a film critic for a long time. I want to ask you, Gary. You mentioned you're a critic and a writer. And you produce movies. Right. How does that, how do you balance the, how does that, how does that work? You can't well, criticize. You know, it is interesting. And, you know, it, it, it's, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a film critic. I love film reviews. I grew up, you know, around all these great reviewers and all that. And, and film criticism meant something back then, you know, and yeah. all of that. Doesn't yeah. And that doesn't anymore. And so, um, so that was kind of like my, the route that I wanted to, Take. And then I realized I, and I wrote for my college newspaper and my high school newspaper. I wrote film reviews. I wrote, you know, and then, and then ultimately I realized that it was, I probably couldn't make a living doing that. I was living in Boston at the time. So I ended up getting a job in movie publicity and that sort of gave me my trajectory into publicity until I left to become a writer again. But, but it came back around. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to, to start writing film reviews. And as a screenwriter, I've always done other work because, you know, you have your, you have your busy periods, your fallow periods, and you just want to be busy and writing and make you bring in some money and all of that. So I had an opportunity to do this. 
And I started writing, I, I was writing for a, a, a pretty good website uh, called real.com, R-E-L.com. And they actually paid decently for reviews. And I was reviewing. And then I kind of parlayed it into writing for the LA Times because they, they were hiring. I started in 2007. They were hired. They had they had a number of freelance reviewers and I just contacted the, the, uh, the assignment editor. And I just said, you know, do you need anybody else? And he said, um, well, no, but send me some of your samples. And I sent him my stuff from the internet, right? From real.com. He says, these are great. So I'll, I'll give you an assignment, you know, and then he gave me, I reviewed this movie, this, this little independent movie. And, and then, you know, and then I started reviewing regularly for them and, and, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, have reviewed pretty much pretty regularly for them ever since. And, you know, as somebody who whose work as a writer, as a screenwriter, as a playwright, as an author, I've definitely had my share of reviews of my work to to deal with, you know, and some good, some bad. Um, but what people will say, well, do you think it's a conflict of interest? Here you are, you know, writing movies. And then is it fair to critique other people's movies when you are writing movies or writing other yeah, things? That's what I was said, asking. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a fair question. And I've, and I've never, and, and, and of course, you know, um, people, you know, I pay for people know what I do. I mean, freelancers do lots of things, you know, and, and generally you're writing something else. Um, but I always feel like I'm so much more qualified to critique writing as a writer. And to me, this, you know, I start with the script of any movie and that's where I begin the, you know, like that's where the critique starts. And, and I, and as a writer, I'm also very, I think I'm really fair to, to, to films. And I think I'm really open to them, to finding the good in them. I know no movie is made without, you know, nobody sets out to make a bad movie. You know, it's very, it's an act of God to get a movie made of any kind. Yeah. Um, and I mean that in a completely, not in a religious way, but you know, it just, yeah. it's just a gigantic. Exactly gigantic thing. So I honestly, almost never in all the years of reviewing and the thousands of movies I reviewed have never really run into anybody saying, Hey, you shouldn't be anybody whose movie I reviewed, let's say saying, Hey, you shouldn't, you know, you're a writer yourself. You shouldn't be critiquing other people. Invariably people have some respect for it because they feel at least, you know, forget what I know about film. I mean, that should be its own, whatever that should be the, that should be the, the the deciding factor whether you you know are qualified to write film reviews in many ways. But partly it's this is I think there's been a certain respect for you know the fact that that as a writer I'm coming at it you know in a very kind of hopefully embracing way. Um, look, some movies are terrible. I mean, what are you going to do? But I uh, and and they get the reviews that you know pretty much everybody else is giving them. But does the um, Times pick the movie for you to review, or you you pick the movie? Yeah, they, uh, almost all the time. They, they, there are a lot of freelancers. There are probably, I don't know how many, maybe six or eight. There are a couple of uh, staff writers. It's changed over time. You know, the, what they had, they review a little bit less now. You know, things have changed a, a little bit over time, but with as an assignment editor and they assign out based upon how many movies they, they they're going to review that week, they'll assign it out to everybody. And they're, and like they, they kind of know what's, you know, I want to say my specialties, but what, what they, Feel I I will I will review, you know your I, wheelhouse. I, my wheelhouse, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes also it whether you'll like it or not. Now, Gary, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, a studio, like you 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 submit a script to a studio, yeah. the studio rejects it. Mm -hmm. They pick a film from that studio. Right. What do you <laughs> do? Come on. Just a little, just a little bit, maybe just a tad. Well, so I'll tell you something to that end. You know, as I'm really careful about this. Um, if I if they assign me a movie. It's a review, and I know anybody connected to the movie, the product, the producer, 
not the studio or production company, but like, you know, the producer, an actor in it, somebody who wrote it, anybody, I, I recuse myself. Oh, there you go. Well, there I you go. Want, I don't want anything. That's the right way to do it. Well, Gary, here's my problem. Uh-oh. I used, uh, I mean, I, I didn't work for the Times, but I was, my first experience as a freelance writer, other than com- some commercials, was for a singles publication writing movie reviews uh-huh. in Delaware. And um, I didn't last long, but I wrote a review of Hot Dog the Movie. <laughs> I said, farting fat women is the level of humor. And I'd never met the, uh, the oh, editor, the- but apparently she was a heavy woman. And uh-huh. that was but here's what scared me about writing. Grant re- Kramer. Yeah. Here's what scared me about writing reviews. Like a producer walked up to me and said, you know, a producer I knew walked up and said, hey, Sean, what did you think of Time Cop? You know, the Von Damme movie? I said, oh, what a piece of crap. No what way. You're crap. wrong. But okay. And then, and then she goes, the, the producer's interested in one of your scripts. I'm like, well, you know, it, it, it it, you know, there were some interesting ideas in it, you know, that they that they worked hard to realize. And I'm like, I don't ever want to find myself in that position. Yeah. Until uh, we when I was when I was watching the when I was watching come out of the closet. When I was watching I, do the, a lot, I used to do hundreds of um IMDB reviews um under three different names, never my own. I had like three personalities. But I stopped doing that. But um it's sort of like I don't you know but there's been some great writers who are film critics, in particular, um, more recently, um, Paul Anastasio, who wrote like the Oscar, won the Oscar for Quiz Show, yeah. a fabulous writer. He was yeah. a reviewer for um, Washington Post. Post. Yeah, you know. So Didn't um, Roger Ebert yeah. write Valley of the Dolls or Return to Valley. He wrote of the, Dolls the sequel. Yeah. 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 When I went down the offer, uh, when I watched you know the offer, I started listening to podcasts, and Robert Evans just ripped the crap out of Pauline Kael. Oh, just yeah. hated her as a critic. Thought, she thought she had no taste whatsoever. If she liked the person, she's going to give a great review. She didn't understand art. This thing went on. It was just crazy. But boy, could she make a movie? You know, yes. if, you know, she, if she liked she make- it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting, she if you build read careers. Yeah. yeah, she did. If you read her reviews now, I have like all the collections of her, of her reviews. And occasionally, if I watch a movie from the seventies, I'll go back and, and see what she said. They're just brilliant. I mean, they're brilliant. The way she wrote, she doesn't write them like I write a review or people write reviews. They were like think pieces. They were essays. They weren't reviews, you know. They didn't necessarily cover everything the way we cover things. It was just a couple of pages of her, you know, you know, expounding on it in the most brilliant way possible. And, and that was, that was reason, her gift. That was her thing. You have to go back She went after Orson Welles. She crossed the line. Well, she, there were a lot of people she, she did was that. right. To. No, she wasn't. Uh, Robert Evans hated her. I'm telling you, you should hear yeah. this thing. It's Robert crazy. Evans. Lots of people hated her. <laughs> oh, man. It, Have it, you guys heard the podcast about the Ain't a Cool News criticism, that whole Ain't a Cool News? Uh, I yeah, remember that. That was like one of the first big The internet. growth of that. It's an amazing, because he ended up on the show with Roger Ebert when Gene Siskel died. Harry the guy Knowles. who ran. the Yeah, the guy, Harry, Harry Knowles. Harry ended Knowles. Up, Knowles did it with Ebert. I don't remember yep. that. They were yeah, trying I to get Harry that. Knowles to do it. Yeah. I now, Harry we, Knowles had some issues. Sexual harassment issues, which mm-hmm. is why he's. Yeah, I uh, knew a couple of those guys when I lived out in LA in the end of the nineties. The and, fascinating um, podcast. Very interesting people to be. Yeah. Any cool news guys? Yeah. yeah, and the way they paid, they paid critics to go and do stuff, and some of the you know backhand stuff they were doing. They were you know have people were giving them secrets from the set, 
it's fascinating to, to mm-hmm. hear the growth of that, but it's another criticism thing. So, um, okay. Great talk. This was fantastic. Gary, you brought a lot to the table. This was not done. Gary, thanks for coming. I over. just want to mention one I mean, thing. We talked about movies going, going back and watching something. I just watched, uh, I just saw Top Gun Maverick oh. based on Chris's uh, review. <laughs> And then I went home and watched Top Gun from 86. Holy shit, is that a stupid movie? The first one. The first one. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> it's like unbelievable how but dumb that movie For a movie is. of its time. I, no, it was dumb I, when it came out. I guess, I guess we all got caught up in the thrill of what was going on in that film. But wow, when you How did you like Top Gun Maverick? I thought it was okay. It was okay. You know, the character of the, the girlfriend What about the aerial character? footage? Yeah, of course, that's that's oh, groundbreaking. Yeah, that, the stuff they did. All that but, stuff was great, man. I yeah, mean, it's just it's a dumb it's a dumb action. And Chris, I know how you feel. Don't say anything. I don't want to hear. I it. I just want to throw that going back. We talk about <laughs> going back once in a while and how movies just that one was just nuts. And the I penny, the penny the character is that just I loved. I did, was just hugely disappointed with which one. I, I'm I'm like I'm trying to think because somebody else had mentioned this. About films you loved when you first saw them. We, we talk about that all the time. Like, you look yeah, back. I generally will still have affection for those films. Well, we also talk about films that Sean can't remember the name of. So, we're. <laughs> or who was in it? Or who was in it? <laughs> we could never. Susan Hayward. Susan Hayward. Whoever. Susan. Uh, Gary, Susan is there anything, anything you want to let our. 14, 15, 20 viewers. Uh, Wait, Gary, before you say that, I think I think we should do something, Ralph, because on our last show, we said anybody who comments gets a hat and nobody commented. I think we should give Gary a hat. Yeah, well, totally. That's we should send him Gary. a hat. I get yeah, it. Gary, I'll yeah, ship it out awesome. tomorrow. I'll ship it yeah. right out tomorrow. Where do you live, Gary? Do you live on the West Coast or are you still in New York? Los Angeles. Okay, you'll get a hat before his brother gets a hat who lives in Boston. Okay, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. FedEx. Look, I've got to come back because I've got all these movies from the seventies I want to talk to you guys about. Oh, and Gary, Gary, Gary you're in. Gary, right, wait till I'm on vacation. Okay, then come back for the seventies movies. <laughs> Gary, if you really <laughs> want to come back, we will work it out and we'll make it happen. If you're serious yeah, about that, just that give was us great. Your insight was great. Tell oh me, how, did you like? Did you like Clute, Gary? Love. There of course you, you did. <laughs> Listen, the Gary, what thing, about you, the hospital? I, yeah, I, I can't say because I haven't seen that like in a hundred years. But I remember thinking it was good back then. But I liked a lot of things back then. I don't know. But what about Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Well, no, I'm not a Willy Wonka person. Here we go. I, I wasn't. Even Willy it is Wonka a '70s person. movie. Clue is sort 70s. of our. That's our. That seems Clute. to be a that, thing. Ralph. Please, I think you're. You got a whole different reason why you like well, that one. I, I, I haven't seen Clute literally since it came out. I just remember thinking it was a great movie then, and you know, well, it was a pivotal point, point in Ralph's life. Uh, so uh, it's more than just a film. We were yeah, looking, I saw it at drive-in movie theater. He did. He saw it at drive-in. Yeah, but I do want. If I do have a minute to to be, you know, do some selfless self self. Absolutely, go absolutely, please. My be quiet. I wrote last year called the Last Birthday Party. Um, it is, uh, it's, I'm very proud of it. It's a really fun read. Um, and it is about, it's a, it's a romantic comedy set in LA, set in Hollywood. And it is about a film reviewer for the LA Times who turns, <laughs> who turns 50 and his life completely falls apart the day after he turns 50 and has this birthday party he didn't want. And it's how he rebuilds his life. Uh, again, in the most unexpected ways. And, uh, one of the ways is he dusts off an old screenplay he wrote a hundred years ago and tries to resurrect his life as a screenwriter. And, you know, fantasies come true. So I think it, it's a fun Gary, book. it sounds awfully cinematic to me. 
It's very cinematic. I'm working on it now. I actually did write this. I did adapt into a screenplay form earlier this year. I've uh, got it with some producers. Best way to do it. Trying to get it set up. Uh, I've got my wish list of actors to play my my 50-year-old uh, non-virgin. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to to move it forward. I would love Where to. Where can we find it. that book? It's uh, on Amazon. It's on in bookstores. It's on all the Barnes and Noble. Um, all right. I will put a link in uh, with the description of the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. called the last birthday. The party. last birthday. It's the last birthday party. I don't know why it's on sale on Amazon. The paperback is like half off for some reason. Right, right now they do their algorithms and you know try to you know do their stuff. So now's a good time to buy it. But uh, all right, private. But I think it's a real movie lovers book, and I think you'll really really enjoy it. So, Maybe we'll right. do a show. We'll all review it. Cool. I want to be there. I'm buying yeah. the right. window as we speak. I have to be there to defend myself. Okay. <laughs> no defense necessary. Um, all right. Well, Gary, really appreciate it. Um, so you spent a lot here. of time Thank with you. us. It's fantastic. Obviously, yeah. you're welcome back anytime. Okay. So if you, if, if you, and the way we work is if a guest comes on, we push all our other stuff aside. So if there's a 70s film you really want to do in a couple of weeks, send me an email. And we'll we'll make it happen. We also okay. like classic films too. Ralph doesn't, but we like classic films. Yes. Classic films. Thirties, okay. forties. Ah, okay. So I'll remember don't exclude way, that. The fact that you guys did a whole thing on on My Name is Trinity. Is that the name of that That's movie? Most that was on Cue It Up. I mean, that was like, you know, you're really fat you really you're really esoteric. I thought that was cool. <laughs> well, here's movie. the thing. We did My Name is Nobody on Cue It Up with the Q brothers. Yeah. And got 15,000 hits. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, let's do another Terrence Hill movie on the mother. It was the most commented film we've ever done. Really? Yeah, get it. Really? Now, that was the first one, right? He did My Name is Trinity and Trinity is Still My Name. You did the first one? Yeah, we yeah. did the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was friends with uh, uh, um, uh, Terrence Hill's son. Uh, oh, really? For a long time. Yeah, I, I haven't been in touch with him in a while. He's a great guy and he was... Terrence was his, his dad, you know, and uh, oh, I uh, he's a huge Terrence star. He's a huge star. I think he's still acting. I think he's still much older. Yeah, some series in Italy, right? Yeah, a mini series. Yeah, some you know. priest who solves crimes. But when <laughs> nice. I saw that, I was like, man, these guys got it going on. They, 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 well, they, that was Sean. Yeah, that was yeah, Sean. Sean pulled that one out, but but we enjoy like that's a film I never in a million yeah. years would have watched, watch it. Yeah. and I fell in love with that guy. And yeah. and I just love that. I love his. I love it. And we uh, do have eclectic taste in movies. That's good. That's yeah. that's that's good. Cool. If everybody had the same taste, what fun would it be, right? Exactly. 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 We'd be watching seventy films every week. <laughs> that's, well, that's how it started. All right. All right hey, well, we're going to spin the wheel. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Yeah, really well, appreciate you taking the time, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Can you see that? Yeah, oh, he's already got Kindle here. All right. Cool. All right. So I'm serious, Gary. You got a suggestion? Send me an email. We'll make it happen. Okay. Okay. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are you going to spin the wheel of fortune? Yeah, we got to spin the wheel because the next one, Gary, you're welcome to watch this. It's very exciting. That's how we pick the next movie. This is the most exciting. No, this is the. This is now. We're done with the Ron Robbins. We're going to spin for whoever does the next pick. Yeah. Okay. Is everybody on the wheel? Oh, look at that good-looking crew. I'm not on the wheel, so that's not cool. Oh, Drew, you're off the wheel. Oh, 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 oh. I think oh, we have sorry, to. No, um, we got. I got to redo. Sorry. Oh, are you, no, I, that's not right. I didn't know Drew was off the wheel. That's that is right, not right. right. I didn't know that. Hang oh my god! What what the hell kind uh, of operation is this? I, I didn't know. Good call, Drew. Sorry about that. 
Uh, oh, good. Let's put Brad on there too. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Oh, this I just is a well oiled machine, right? I'm still not on the wheel. Still not on the wheel. I just put you on. Hang on a second, Ralph. Uh, listen, okay. let's just go with me, and then we'll fix it next week. No, put a check mark there. Okay, hang on. Uh, so Gary, it usually goes a little smoother than this. I just uh, want you to know. I'm seeing it. Uncheck Brad uncheck Wojo. I did that, but you're but see, it won't let me check you for some reason. All right, we'll put Wojo in there. If Wojo wins, it's oh you. Okay, that's, that's how we'll do it. Just to John, as far as I know. No, 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 no way. No, no way. he would never do that. <laughs> I hope it's Wojo. That'd be great. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. This isn't rigged at all. Nope, nope. This isn't all rigged right. at all. <laughs> Completely random. Well, Gary, it's going to be a '70s film, so you're welcome to oh join my us next God. week. <laughs> What's it going to be, Sean? Do you know? I haven't. I I don't have to think about it. Think about He's it. got to look at his laser disc collection. Yeah, look at my laser disc. See what I got. So they track is a, D, a DVD a DVD collection. <laughs> I've got I've got DVD, Blu-ray, tons of. I got about uh, four hundred fifty, five hundred laser discs. Wow. So. Oh my God. And before we end, we just want to to all of our viewers again. I mean, this is talk about conversation. Please subscribe, smash the like button, and share it. And again, our subscription to go up. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Gary, email me your address. I'll ship that out immediately Excellent. tomorrow. I will. Thank you. Check Gary. out his book. Check out his book too. I definitely will. Oh, you just called yes. the last bird. I read it, but please, everybody. <laughs> I'm talking to the audience, Gary. And I'll wait for the There's movie. Six people watching right now. He's going to wait for the movie. Wait for the movie. Yeah. All right, All right everybody. All right. Have a Thank safe you, week. Thank Drew, you. I hope you're feeling better, everybody. Thanks for coming.